0: the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. Um, I used to be a very content engineer at Hewlett-Packard. Made great money, had a great job, living the dream. Things were great, but God had other plans for my life, and his plans were very persistent on my life. He had spoken to me about something, and I sort of had resisted for years. My dad was a Methodist minister. I don't know if I've ever shared this with you all. and You know that he's a Methodist minister, still is. And out of high school, I told my dad, Dad, I think I want to be a pastor. And he was like, son, if you can do anything else in your life and be happy, do it. You have no business going into ministry unless God has explicitly called you. So that's why I became an engineer. <laughs> That's why I became an engineer. And my life's journey is one story after another of God's invitation and his call. And sometimes it feels like a a sort of oppressive burden of a voice that I'm not paying attention to or not dealing with. Now, some of these stories, I could tell you story after story in my life that seem real flashy, but actually there's just a a lot that are just really plain. Um, People speaking to me and encouraging me or, or rebuking me or challenging me in certain ways. Some of the stories I could share with you would be honestly awkward for me to share because it's like this really happened but I know how this sounds this is really hard to believe and then other stories are just so boring that you probably wouldn't want to listen to them but I have all these kinds of stories in my life one of them that I want to share with you um, was about how we ended up here and I don't know if I've, I've shared this with you all either I'm doing a lot of personal storytelling I hate telling stories about myself sometimes because I'm always a little hesitant to make this about me and it's really not about me Uh, But about what God has done through me and Tashara's pushing me like, Bob, Sean, tell us some stories. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to venture out. Um, Our family was very happy a few years into planting a church in Santa Cruz, California, where Braylon was born. Um, And I was out here for a family reunion, minding my own business, with my primas having a margarita on South 1st Street. when I I don't know how to explain it, but it felt as if someone shoved me off my bar stool and spoke to me saying, my peace is here for your family. Oh boy. So I went home to Santa Cruz and I told Michelle, look, here's what happened. And she had that same kind of look like, oh boy. And just before I had left on this trip, we had come home from church one day. It was, we had services in the evening. We had a, a glass of wine together and we said, cheers. Hey, we we ventured out into something crazy that God told us to do. And look, here we are. We have this beautiful community in Santa Cruz. And right when we sort of clanked glasses, it felt like, oh no. That, does, are we at a point in which something is going to transpire something's going to change and so this is when this story occurred Uh, when I came home and shared this with Michelle and with our church and with uh, the priest that we had planted with Rob no one was a fan of this idea no not including myself Um, and a month or so later Rob who was serving as director he turned to me in our office and he said you know our bishop he challenged us to plant another church out of this church and we both told him he was crazy but maybe if this is of God, maybe we should be open to this. Maybe we should listen to our bishop. So I called some people who called some people. And I knew a guy in San Antonio who put me in touch with a guy down in South Austin, a priest. His name was Perry. And I got on the phone with him and said, look, I think God might be inviting us to come to South Austin to to start a church. Um, I was put in touch with you. And he said, well, are you a young Latino Anglican church planner? I was like, uh, yes, sir, actually. And he said, well, I've been praying for God to send a young Latino Anglican church planter to South Austin to plant a church. And when he would come, I would help him. I would be, I'd be there for him. And that was Perry. And so Perry is uh, one of the founding priests of resurrection. He was uh, very instrumental in, in uh, what was for us actually a sign, a signal that God was at work. So that was me back then. Um, we had a lot in this story. There are sleepless nights. There are stresses. We had kids, you know, we had bills, we had all of these sort of concerns. I could tell you story after story about all of that stuff too. The very mundane, stressful, kind of exciting, but mostly boring details of following God's lead. I could, in all of these highlights, you could see some of these really flashy moments of God's voice and his leading in our life, right? These exciting sort of moments. But you have both when God speaks in your life. You have those, those big sort of mountaintop transfiguration, floored kind of moments where you're terrified and you hear the voice of God, sure. But you also have these daily, very plain, boring, often risky, most of the time, honestly, kind of stressful moments where you're struggling to obey God's voice, to listen to his son, as he says. Well, in Matthew 17, I think this is sort of those are some of my stories, uh, but I think it actually helps inform the way we can read this story in Matthew 17. Where Jesus ascends this hill with his disciples and he is transfigured, meaning his appearance is changed. He's dazzling white in front of his disciples. And this scene of, of transfiguration, this glory of the Lord on a, on a mount. Is it harkens back to the the earlier reading, the the Exodus reading in chapter twenty four, where the glory of God settled on with Moses on Mount Sinai. In fact, when Moses came down from the mountain, they had to put like a veil over his face because he was blind. His face was glowing. This is weird, Moses. So they put a veil on his face. Matthew tells um, that Moses tells us in this story that Moses in this transfiguration also appeared next to Jesus. Kids, can you imagine that? First of all, Jesus. Secondly. Moses? And Elijah? What in the world? That must have been amazing. Why were they there? Well, I think because the law and the prophets are being represented in them, and they are sort of chatting with Jesus while the disciples are there, which is also another sort of odd scene, like, hey, don't mean to interrupt guys, but like, do you see what's happening here? And in Jesus, in this scene, it's kind of a clever way of actually revealing who Jesus is, that he is the fulfillment of everything that Moses and Elijah, and everything that the law that they represent, and all the prophets that, the, that Elijah represents, is summarized in this person, Jesus of Nazareth, now glowing, radiating with God's glory. Wow. Peter's impulse. Did you, did you catch that in the reading? Peter. I love Peter. Peter. Peter's impulse was to sort of capture this moment. For us, I think this might be the equivalent of, like, getting out our iPhones to get this on film. Like, somebody's got to see. We can't go. Everybody stop what you're doing. Let me build some huts for us to get comfortable. Jesus, I should definitely be here. Don't kick me out. You know, you hear Peter's sort of rationale unwinding here. And in his sort of uh, frantic scurrying, as I imagine it being, uh, I I think Peter was sort of trying to memorialize domesticate you could even say this glory of God freeze this moment this mountaintop experience so that we don't never have to leave like if you ever been to a youth summer camp you're like I just never want to leave just got to stay here we don't want to go home to the real world to those real challenges Christ's glory revealed before us sometimes you may even experience that in here I hope you do I don't want to go back to work Lord I just want to stay here with God's people Surrounded with your presence. But God doesn't allow this to happen. He's got greater purposes in this world. And the disciples have a part to play in it. But here's the detail. And this is why it's so important, I think, uh, for us to reflect on this passage. This booming voice that comes out of heaven says, listen to him. It's not as if Jesus had glory sprinkled on him. Like added glory. Like, boom, check this out, guys. Just to impress them. Just to sort of shock and awe the disciples into submission. No, God, God actually isn't like that. He doesn't need to impress us. He has really nothing to prove. Think of the most secure sort of person. This is God. It's that the disciples' eyes were opened. To see how Jesus has been all along. Who he has been all along. In his glory. And this revelation, this eye-opening experience. It wasn't for Jesus' sake. He didn't need it. It was the disciples who needed it to see where things were headed, to see that this one who would suffer for them, everything that he would endure, the story would end with him glorified again. It might not look the same. It might look like a cross, but in the end, we would see God's glory. They needed to see it. But also for the disciples, these three words, listen to him. Now seeing him in his glory, do you understand? Now what do we do with that glory? Should we capture it, bottle it? No. Obey it. Listen. From that booming, authoritative voice of the Father, Jesus had to practically scrape the disciples off the ground. And when he did, we hear another voice of God in the human Jesus gently coming up. And scripture even says that he touched them. That's profound. He touched them and said, Get up, do not be afraid. This so impacted Peter's life. We know this because if you know Peter, he's kind of wishy-washy and a little like scaredy-cat of things. And I, Peter's a, sort of a character, right? But this story so impacted him that later in his second letter, he writes this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't make this up. But we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven, y'all. They didn't say y'all, but you know. While we were with him on that holy mountain. Here's Peter with this mountaintop experience turning to the people of God saying, you've got to believe me. And you've got to listen to him. We're not passing along a story that someone else told us. No, we were eyewitnesses. We saw and beheld his glory. We heard the voice of the Father say, listen to him. So now this ancient story comes to us in south austin in 2023 to us i mean maybe to like clergy right or special people that god like has special access to no no no, to us to regular people that's all god's got is regular people to you this story comes why to listen to him yeah, but Sean, we don't have that same sort of like terrifying experience where Jesus shows up and he's glowing and all that business, the voice. And all. Really? Do we not? Friends, do we not have the glorified Messiah in our midst? He may not be visible in the ways that we would like to see, but I assure you, he's present. Do we not have the law and the prophets ringing in our ears from the readings? We do. Moses and Elijah, strangely present. We may not encounter the Lord transfigured with bright lights like this, like dazzling white. But we do ascend a holy mount every Sunday when we come. That's, I think, partly why this is a little raised. It's not so much that you can see me. But there's actually sort of a a Mount Sinai, a sort of a transfiguration hill up here. Where we can see Christ glorified. We come. We come. We climb that mount every Sunday. We're in conversation with Moses and Elijah. We behold the real presence of God's son. But in very humble means actually, don't we? Bread and wine. This is the paradox paradox about God, I think. This is the thing that really frustrates us on one hand and also sort of um, perplexes us on the other hand. This God who is both huge, and flashy, and authoritative, and all-powerful, and holy, yet comes to us in ways that are humble, and meek, and very plain, easy to overlook at times. His voice makes the mountains tremble, this God. He is enthroned over the cosmos, if you can wrap your head around that, and he is unmistakably holy. He's also a mighty king. His reign is comprehensive, Not an inch is outside of his authority, his power. His kingdom is unrivaled. There's not another kingdom or power in existence that even stands to threaten this king and his kingdom. And yet the fullness of this God is pleased to dwell in his son, Jesus of Nazareth. In him, in ways beyond... Our comprehension we find heaven and earth joined in this person we get to behold him heaven and earth joined in this person we get to behold him and when we look at jesus we also see the future he's bringing about heaven and earth joined in him all things reconciled to him wow what do we do with this? I know we get up every Sunday and we, we show this again, right? We sort of remind ourselves in this, of this again. We come in contact with the living God again. But what do you do with this? Do you just sort of hide it in your heart, bottle it up, capture it, wait for next Sunday? No. I mean, do that too. But listen to him. Listen to the words that this God is actually giving to us, these commands. That's what we want to know, right? Lord, how do we obey? What are you teaching us? Should we, uh, every Sunday, come out here, roll out some sleeping bags, go to Costco, pick up a bunch of snacks, and just sort of make a big camp in here and never leave this church service? How weird would that be? That'd be kind of of cool. I mean, lock-ins, right? That's basically what those are. Of course not. We can't stay here. We have to listen to him. Why? Because he goes out into the world, and he has work for us to do. We have a part to play in reconciling this world to him, that the rest of the world would see his glory, not just us. That the rest of the world would see his glory. So we obey his, his leading. We listen to what he's saying. What is he saying to you, friends? What is the Lord saying to you? Don't think for a minute that just because you've been a Christian for a long time, you've read a bunch of the Bible, and man, i I got a, book, a set of books I've been reading, Sean. I read a lot of books, listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of sermons on YouTube or whatever. That's great, y'all. Still, Jesus has something fresh to say to you today. He's got a word for you. He's got another word for you. You think you know it all. Okay, funny. That's, it is kind of funny. It's ridiculous. But Jesus has got something to say for you today. What is he saying to you? He's probably, if it's like anything like my disaster of a, of a life, trying to listen to the Lord, you know, and it feels like falling down a staircase... In some ways, he's probably persistently nagging you about something. He's probably been saying something. What is that word? This morning, we can listen to his words and the forgiveness of sins. Do you listen to him when the celebrant gets up and in his name announces that you are forgiven? Do you really listen? Do you really hear? Do you listen to him when he says, This is my body? This is my blood? We can listen to him in the embrace of our brothers and sisters at the peace as well. God's saying something to you, even in the pew. We can listen to him in the preaching of the gospel like you're doing now. Maybe some of you are sort of drifting up. Listen up. God's got a word to say. We can listen to him in the announcement that you are his beloved and you have a part to play. And I know things are challenging, but nothing is out of his control. Stick with him. Listen to his leading, his words and i'm sure that he has even more to for you to you, even more to say to you specifically in your own life circumstance and in your situation the point is friends beloved from this holy encounter with jesus our lives are no longer the same we never walk away from beholding his glory unchanged we are all, we are changed our our whole life in fact is recast in the light of his glory We think we know who we are. We think we know how things will go. You don't. You really don't. The thing you do know, though, is that your life unfolds in the light of his glory. And you can listen to his words, follow his leading. Our God is not tame. You cannot domesticate him. You can't manipulate him for a certain end in your own life. He's not under your control and he's not within your grasp. In fact, it's the opposite, the other way around. Our lives are in his hands. And he is worthy, so worthy of us obeying him, right? Amen? Somebody say amen to this. He's worthy for us to obey him. So beloved, what if we listened to him again this morning, freshly? What if we obeyed him in the challenges of everything that we face this week and the week to come? And as we come down from this holy hill this holy place and go into the world what if we continued to pay attention to that still small voice that i promise you i promise you is being uttered to you is being whispered to you what if lord make this so in our lives open our eyes to see your glory this morning that we would do what you say Open our ears that we would follow your lead and hear those words that we so desperately need to hear from you this morning. Beloved, get up and do not be afraid. Amen. Let's take a moment of silence and invite the Holy Spirit to do just that, to come and speak to us this morning. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.